Good morning. How y'all doing this morning? Good, 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 good. Um, I want to welcome everybody here. I'm glad that y'all are here. I want to give a, if y'all would give a shout out and a big hand clap to the people viewing online, holler at them. Um, we've got a, a little treat this morning. Uh, Jeff and Christy are, that's not the treat, but no, Jeff and Christy are delivering their oldest daughter, Allie, to Lynchburg, Virginia to start college, to start school. I think she starts tomorrow, um, and I'm sure, because I remember like yesterday when we did that, when Susan and I did that, and so I'm sure, I'm sure there's tears and laughter and joy and all that stuff, so y'all be, keep them in prayer because I'm sure there's a ton of, of tears. But I want to introduce somebody else to y'all this morning, Carlisa Lopez, and some of you know that we uh, have a sister church in Guadalajara called Mia Iglesias, some of you don't. Um, Carlisa and her husband Carlos, uh, some years ago, they were here from the beginning and some years ago, um, felt a real call, Carlos into full-time vocational ministry, and they felt a real call to make that happen in Mexico, and we were just super honored to come alongside of them and be a part of that. And so I really want Carlisa to take a couple of minutes, and you should be seeing... If y'all can run that video, um, you should uh, uh, just to kind of let us know what's going on in the life of Mia Galicia. So y'all welcome Carlisa. Thank you. Um, can you hear me? Okay. So good morning. Thank you, Ed, so much sure. for having me here this morning. And let me catch you up uh, real quick on the past four years. Um, so yeah, we're coming up on our fourth year in Guadalajara, which is a metropolitan city of almost nine million people. Oh, hi. You've been. <laughs> um, uh, it's located like on the Midwest side of Mexico that several, um, I'm sorry, where we first went as a church plant, like Ed was saying, uh, about four years ago. So uh, on the very first My Church mission trip that several of you guys did go on, um, we partnered with an organization called Marks. Carlos and I volunteered with them for about a year, um, after which they asked us to come on staff full-time. So as of today, we are full-time missionaries, pastors, church planners, and nonprofit directors. Um, so it's kind of been a busy couple of years. Uh, we have a missions base in the center of Guadalajara, where we have church services on Sunday, we house mission teams, uh, we facilitate counseling, collect donations, uh, we just run operations out of that, uh, that multi-use building. We also have a base in one of the impoverished villages just outside of the city where we weekly feed roughly 200 kids plus mamas um, and otherwise they would go without a nutritious meal for that day. We hold weekly Bible study with the moms in the village as most of them are single parents or widows. Uh, we have a marked store in the village base where donations are sold for a peso, which if you don't know it's practically worth nothing. Um, but it has really changed uh, that impact and changed that community drastically because we made it worth something. So instead of just coming in and giving stuff away and people like grabbing at everything because they were afraid there wouldn't be enough, they have pride in what they can purchase for a peso. And it's just really broken, it helped break that, that spirit of poverty in that community. Um, let's see, we're partnered with five orphanages in and around the city. We provide for and deliver some 500 pounds of meat um, each month to the orphanages. 
We pastor the kids both when they're in the homes and after they leave. Many who attend um, my church in the city with us. We help provide a bilingual education and instances like this week where the directors of one of our orphanages had to go, um, had to drive to the border to fix papers on a vehicle. Carlos went and he stayed, uh, he acted as dad for a couple of days to 19 uh, boys and girls ages 7 to 17. Uh, making sure they were all up, breakfast, make lunch, homework, and most of all, just have fun with them. Um, we, let's see, what else? We do a lot. I'm sorry, that's why I had to write it all down. Because um, he told me I only had three minutes, so that's also why I'm talking fast. Um, <laughs> he told me, Carlos called me this week, and he told me about one of the car rides that he was on with the kids, just chauffeuring them back and forth to soccer practice. And the girls in the back were, like, all whispering and laughing and talking to each other, and they said, Gosh, wouldn't it just be so amazing if Carlos was really our dad? Um, and that is really the heart of our, of our message and our mission, is family. We're called to fight for the orphan and widow, help a generation find their identity in Christ, and stand in the gap uh, when family is needed. And it looks like all kind of crazy different things. Um, what I just described to you is a normal month uh, for us. And then that's just not even counting the unexpected, which is also just a part of being family. Um, the 15-year-old drug addict who Carlos never left his side for 52 days as he detoxed. Um, the runaways that end up at our doorstep and into our family for as long as they need to stay. The other missionary couples that we've adopted that are seeking family and friendship advice and encouragement from somebody who's been there. Standing in as mom and dad at graduation or a big soccer game because mom and dad are either dead or in jail. We dream of an orphanless world by restoring family. You guys are my family. So we invite you guys to come. Um, I know a bunch of you probably know Hannah. She has, Hannah Mishkoff, she's been down every single year that they've been down on a team. She came this summer as an intern, and guys, she's only 18, and she has made such a huge impact on our family, on our community, on our church. Um, so we invite you to come as well. We've talked about a, t a trip with my church maybe in December or spring break of next year. Oh, for um, sure. No so. doubt spring break and probably in December too. So we would love, love, love to have you. Okay. Well, thanks, That's thanks, thanks. Doing. What y'all don't, and some of you do, some of you don't, you don't, what you may or may not realize is that that uh, we are we are part of, of their support and you know, we thank y'all so much because part of our giving, it's part of our missions and outreach budget, goes to Mia Iglesia. And today, we're gonna uh, we're gonna take a special part of today's offering, and and that'll be sort of above and beyond. Is there one thing that y'all need more maybe than anything else? Yeah, uh, it's actually kind of three rolled in one. Um, so the last time that Hannah stayed with us. For a couple of weeks, she saw firsthand we, at that time, were a family of nine living in a three-bedroom house. Um, so we there's seven of us. Uh, we constantly have, uh, whether it be from a rescue mission or one of the kids transitioning out of one of the homes, and we're just helping them for a couple of months until they can find uh, housing uh, to go to university in the city or whatever. We're, on an average, a family of nine to ten. Um, so we... Two things. We need a vehicle, a fuel-efficient vehicle, that doesn't make us feel like we're, like, throwing cash out A fuel-efficient um, vehicle that holds nine people. Exactly. I'm not asking for too much. Right? <laughs> um, and then we are looking to raise support uh, for our family, for a family of 10 uh, for over the next year. 
And on top of all that, we're doing a campaign. If you will check out our um, our website, mark.org, and we're and on Facebook, please, because we're constantly we have about five big campaigns a year. This one right now is for backpacks, for back to school, for all the kids in our village and in one of our homes. And I need your help filling those backpacks. So first and foremost for us, that goes to the backpacks because I promised those kids I would come home with enough to fill them so they could go back to school. Okay. Have a successful year. All right. So, uh, perfect, perfect, perfect. perfect. Go big or go home. Perfect. So part of what we're doing today, and every month, but part of what we're doing today is going to help. And if if anybody has a fuel-efficient nine-person vehicle, they'll take it off your hands. Gladly. Um, So I appreciate it. Thank you all. Y'all keep Carlisa and Carlos and and Mia Glacia in your prayers. Thank you very much. So before we get started this morning, let me let me pray for us real quick. Lord, we, we love you today. Lord, we thank you so much for people like Carlos and Carlisa that you prick their hearts and you put a desire and a want to in them to share your word in, in places all over the world that uh, most of us have never been and may never go. And Lord, I thank you for the, for the hearts in our church that do have the desire to... Uh, to go and work and to be in the mission field and to help and to do the things uh, that you've called them to do. And so, Lord, I pray this morning as, uh, as uh, we hear your words that you will fill this place with your Holy Spirit, that the people that need to hear your words will hear them, the people that, uh, that don't know you will come to know you this morning, the people that do know you, Lord, that you will grow them and encourage them and edify them. And so, Lord, I lift our church I lift me, Iglesia, I lift our community up to you in Jesus' name. So, we're in week three uh, right now of an, our Unshaken um, series. And in week one, Jeff was in the beginning of, uh, of 1 Kings chapter 19. And he was talking about how God is in the middle of our messes with us. And he talked about uh, Elijah and Ahab and Jezebel. And then last week, uh, he was in 1 Kings 17. And he talked to us and, and we discussed scarcity and how God uses that to grow us and to, to strengthen our character. And so in week one, Jeff talked uh, uh, about God's conversation with Eliza and that was Elijah and that was in First Kings chapter 19. Towards the end of that, of that conversation, Elijah in verse 14, he tells God, he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Uh, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one that's left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Do you ever, yeah. do you ever feel like you're the only one that's left? That you are alone? This week I want to look at one of the major ways that God deals with us, the way He shapes us and maybe the way that He grows us, and it's not through us being isolated and us being alone. Elijah feels alone. He feels isolated. He feels threatened. And God tends to do the things that He does in us through relationships. So today I want you all to buy into the idea, the concept, the theme that together is better. The world tells you all the time that you don't need anybody, that you can do it alone. You just got to man up. You don't need anybody's help. You're bombarded every day with all this self-help mumbo-jumbo and do-it-yourself, this and that. So the world says you can go it alone, but the Word says otherwise. So together, 
really is better. And one of the, the, my most favorite passages about this subject is in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. And... I'm assuming it's there. Yeah, there we go. And this is what it starts. And let me give you a little background. Chapter 7, 8, 9, and the first 18 verses of the book of Hebrews. Chapter 7, 8, 9, the first 18 verses of this chapter are uh, teaching and, 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 and exposition, so to speak. And so in verse, 9, verse 19, he sort of changes course and he begins with what we call exhortation. And that is an appeal to us, the beginnings of an appeal to us to do something. It is uh, an encouragement. And so he, he, he spends a lot of time prior to that setting us up. And then in verse 19, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, and if you look, he says, since there, um, and he says, since there, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, and that confidence is hope, since we have hope, and, and, and by a new and living way, and a new and living way is really the author of Hebrews, and we don't know who the author of Hebrews was for sure. Um, it may have been Paul, it may not, so a lot of today I'm going to really be talking about the author of Hebrews. But a new and living way is a new covenant, and Jesus opened up that door, and he says he opened, uh, uh, opened this, this was opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest, who is Jesus Christ over the house of God. And the house of God, you may have in your mind that that's heaven that he's talking about, but he's not. He's, the house of God here, the author of Hebrews, is referring to the body of believers, to Christians. So since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, we have a right now to enter the most holy place because of the blood of Christ by a new and living way opened up to us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Starting in verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. This passage is where we're going to dive in ver uh, uh, really verse by verse today. And it's since we have confidence because of what Jesus did for us, and since he's a great high priest, it's so because of those two things, the writer of Hebrews gives us three exhortations in verses 22 through 25. And they're huge encouragers for us. Remember these three things, these three exhortations are the result of the confidence or the, or the hope that we have in Christ. So number one is of the three. Number one is together, together we draw, and you should have this in your message notes. Y'all got your message notes, your worship guide? Okay. Together we draw near to God in faith because of the new covenant that he just told us about. Together we draw near, we lean in to God in faith. And that's in verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings because we now have access through the cross 
together we can draw near to God in faith. So what is this, um, what is this drawing near thing and, and why is the together part of that? And you gotta understand that part of the background of the book of Hebrews is sort of a retelling of the history of Israel. In fact, if we turn back to chapter 3 and we look at this, and this starts in verse 7. So it is as the Holy Spirit says, today listen to what He says. Don't be stubborn as in the past when you turned against God, when you tested God in the desert. There your ancestors tried me and tested me and saw the things I did for 40 years. So brothers and sisters, be careful that none of you has an evil He's warning us that this can happen. Be careful that none of you has an evil, unbelieving heart that will turn you away from the living God, but encourage each other every day while it's today. Help each other so none of you will become hardened. Why? Because sin has tricked you. He's talking about how their hearts got hard uh, and how they turned away from God. They didn't lean in. They turned away from God, particularly when they were in the desert for 40 years, and he had just delivered them out of 400 years of slavery. It doesn't take us long to get jacked up just in, in a quick history of, of God acting because sin, in verse 13, sin uh, can trick us. Um, they got disloyal and they turned away, and the author of Hebrews is saying, don't do that. Verse 12 says, be careful that none of you has an evil, unbelieving heart that will turn you away from the living God. Do you see that? He's saying, don't turn away. Help each other. Lean on each other. Lean on and draw near to God because in verse 13, sin can trick us. That's what sin does. It deceives us and it tricks us. So jump back to verse 22, 10, 22. Again, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Don't turn away. Lean in. Encourage each other every day, he tells us. So number one point is together we draw near to God in faith. And number two is together we hold fast to God in hope. We're going to find this in verse 23, chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Hold unswervingly to the hope we professed for he who promised is faithful. The author here is talking to a group of, of folks who have found that it ain't that easy to be a Jesus follower. And they're mostly Jewish Christians and they're being persecuted by Rome and they're being cold-shouldered by the Jewish community and they're being tempted to, to go back into their legalism, to go back into their Judaism. And the author is encouraging them to hold fast to hold unswervingly. And the Greek word there is kateko. Uh, and it's used all over the book of Hebrews to hold fast, to hold unswervingly. In chapter 3, verse 6, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are His house, if indeed we do what? Hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Hold fast, same word, kateko. In verse 14 of chapter 3. Um, verse 14 of chapter 3. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Hold firm is the same Greek word, kateko. All throughout this book, the author of Hebrews, he tells us to hold on to, 
to cling to, to hold fast to the hope that we have in chapter uh, 6 in verse 18. He says, these two things cannot change. God cannot lie when He makes a promise and He cannot lie when He makes an oath. These things do what? They encourage us who come to God for safety. They give us strength to hold on to the hope we have been given. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, sure and strong. And it's because of God, it's a, a, because of who God is. It's not, it's not anything that, that you and I have anything to do with. It is because He is a promise keeper and He gives us encouragement and He strengthens us to do what? To hold on and to hold fast and to hold unswervingly to Him. So back to, to, to verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So what's happening in the book of Hebrews is the author is saying to a group of people who are facing all kinds of trials and all kinds of temptations in their lives, he's saying, hold tight, don't let go because you have hope. And hope, hope is one of the major things that separates a believer from an unbeliever. When, when I don't believe... It's hopeless. And when I do believe, there's hope. And so that's one of the differentiators. And he's saying here to hold firm and hope in God. Now, why or on what basis do we hope in God? When we face imprisonment, when you or somebody that you know is going through cancer, what, whatever it may be, what kind of a hope would allow you to hold unswervingly in those moments? What kind of hope is it that keeps you from lapsing back into what's safer or maybe what's easier? What kind of hope is it that'll allow us to walk through a season of life that's really not very much fun? What, what kind of hope is that? And it's the kind of hope that doesn't look at the man in the mirror. It's the kind of hope that looks up towards the character of God. Because why? Because the last part of that verse, I assume it's still up there. Notice that. Can you pop verse 23 back up there? It's not because of us. It's because of He who promised faithfulness. It's because God is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for He who promised is faithful. Here's how you can do that. You look at the character of God. You see the character of God and you know that He is worthy of our trust. You know that He is worthy of placing a thousand percent of our hope in Him, everything in Him because of who He is and, and what His revelation tells us about who He is. And I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't have the vaguest idea. But I know that there's a bunch of you sitting out there that are struggling through a tough season that maybe even unimaginable challenges. And I don't know how hard it is for you, but I do know one thing. I know that you have a Savior that has gone before you. I know that you have a Savior who has paid the price for you, who has bought you back, who has declared that you are His. So you hold unswervingly to that. You hold fast right in the middle of the temptation, right in the middle of the struggles. You reach out and you hold fast to that. So number, uh, number one is together we draw near to God in faith. Number two is together we hold fast to God in hope. And number three, big Major point number three is together we motivate one another on to love. And it's funny because probably up to this point, you're saying, well, I can do those first two things right by myself. I can draw near, draw near to God 
right by myself. I can hold fast to God right by myself. But that is not what the author of Hebrews is saying here. The big picture, don't miss this, the big picture is he says, let us do these things. This is all in the context of community. Let us do these things. Drawing near to God, that's a community project. Holding unswervingly. I like that word. Y'all say unswervingly with me together. One, two, three, unswervingly. What, what, a, what, a, what a great word, but holding unswervingly, holding fast. That was kind of weak too, by the way. But holding unswervingly, that's a community project. We need each other to help us draw near to God. We need each other to help us hold fast to God. We, we, just, we just need each other. The whole, that's the whole picture here to motivate one another to love. And it's interesting when you get to verse Verse 24, let me get us to verse 24. So, if you look, verse 24 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And that's the best English translation that we could get for this sentence in the Greek, but it misses something really, really important. And I want to show you that. I, I, I want to show you what the word, I want to talk about this word consider in verse 24. And, and it's used only one other time in the book of Hebrews, and the Greek word is katanoeo. Now stay with me. One other time it's used, and it's talking about how he considered Jesus. And it's in Hebrews 3.1. It's on the bottom of our screen. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. It's the same word that's translated Fix your thoughts in chapter 3, verses 1. And up here, it's, it's translated consider. So the picture is this. Consider Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your attention, your focus on Jesus in this verse. We get the exact same phrase in, in ooh, what did I do? In this verse, same same phrase, except instead of saying Jesus, it says one another. So in Hebrews 10.24, really the way that this verse reads in the Greek, y'all listen to the way this sounds, it really says, let us consider one another how we may spur one, excuse me, let us consider one another how we may spur on to love and good deeds. And that sounds weird. That, that makes no sense. And so we change it around a little bit. But here's the deal. If we're not careful, we're going to miss the point. The way that sentence sounds normally translated, it's, it sounds like we're considering the different ways to spur one another on. And that's not what he's saying. What the author of Hebrews is really saying is in light of the fact that we have access to God and as we draw near to Him and as we hold fast to Him, you focus on each other. You fix your thoughts on each other. You look at each other. You consider each other. You think about each other. You focus on each other. The picture here is clear. He is showing us that what Christ has done has gigantic ramifications if the focus of our lives is on the people that are around us. And the author of Hebrews in, in chapter 10, he doesn't say just go out and be loving and do good deeds. What does he say? He says, consider others and spur them on to love and good deeds. 
And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Consider one another. Think about what he's saying. Fix your focus on others and consider how to help them be more loving. How to help them do good deeds. How to spur them on towards that. And the word spur on is a funny kind of word and it's usually used it has a negative sort of context. Usually that word is kind of negative. It literally means to irritate or to provoke or to stir up. And I think about, you know this word if you have children. Um, I think about my two sons, Zach and Will, and when they were little, uh, well, I say when they were little, even when they were teenagers, they did this. It didn't take them long to figure out the buttons to push. It didn't take them long to figure out for Will to figure out, if I do this and push this button, I'll get this reaction from Zach. And Zach to say, if I do this or that, I'll get this reaction from Will. It didn't take him long to figure out how to provoke each other. And then they would just press that button over and over and over and over again until my head just would explode. And the author of Hebrews here is what he's saying is, fix your thoughts on each other so that you'll know the right buttons to push to spur that person on to love. That's the that's that's really what he is what he is saying. And it's cool if you think about have you ever been around people that just being around maybe a particular person just makes you better? More love, more desire, um, more encouragement. Maybe you you're in a small group and it just happens in there. Maybe on a Monday or Tuesday evening you're out in the streets with M twenty five forty serving the homeless community, and you just want to love more, and you want to serve more, and you, you just get better. You're growing like crazy, and that's the picture in the New Testament church that the author of Hebrews is giving us, a people who make one another better uh, in the way that we love and make each other better in the way that we serve one another, and we grow together. We spur one another on. We push each other's buttons we're provoked to be loving and do good deeds. And he ends this passage in verse 25. He says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And so look what happens in a community of faith that's spurring on that kind of activity with each other. That's what the church is supposed to be. And that's why the author says, don't give up meeting together. We gather together regularly. Why do we do that? Why do we gather together regularly? Because if we're going to be loving and we're going to do good deeds, apparently the New Testament is telling us that we need others to spur that on in us. We need others to push our buttons here and there. Do you catch that? The implication of this passage is that you will not be near as loving. You will not do nearly the good deeds to bring glory to your Father You'll not do those things if you're living your Christianity in isolation. It doesn't work that way. You're going to miss out on the life of love and service that God has designed for us, that He has wired us up to live this way. You're going to miss that if you're not walking this out in the context of a community. And most of the time, people think that verse is telling us to get in a room like this on a Sunday morning and go to church. And maybe that's an application of the passage. Maybe it is. But I think it goes way, way deeper than that. This is a picture of us focusing 
on each other, fixing our thoughts on each other. And that goes a lot deeper than sitting in a church wherever on a Sunday morning. It goes way deeper than that. It's an intimate involvement in each other's lives. It's something that can't really be accomplished in a room like this because there's mutual encouragement that has to take place and you've got to share life together um, and, and, and you've got to be able to focus on each other when you know people well enough, you know what buttons to push in their life to spur them on to bring glory to God. You know, uh, you know what to do to encourage them. That's the context of what the author of Hebrews is telling us here. We gather together regularly and, and we encourage each other continually. And, and part of the reason that doesn't happen generally on a Sunday morning, there's just not a lot of mutual encouragement that goes on. Sure, when we are praising uh, uh, God through musical worship, there's probably a little bit of that that's taken place. But generally, this is kind of a one-sided thing on a Sunday morning. But when I get together with one of my small groups and we sit around and we're talking about the junk we're going through and we talk about the struggles or the temptations that we wrestle with and we pray for each other and we, le- and we learn what's going on in each other's lives and we lean on each other, that's the picture of, encourage- of what encouraging one another is all about. So we encourage one another continually. And the Bible is saying here very clearly, every one of us, every one of us in the room is going to face trials. We're going to face temptations. We're going to walk through all kinds of different seasons of life. And you're just not intended to do that alone. You're intended to do that in the context of a community. It's a community that helps you to hold fast to God in hope. It's a community that helps you to draw near to God. It's a community that encourages you and pushes the buttons to spur you on to love. I have a friend that I was, uh, that I was in a small group with. They moved away a couple of three years ago. Um, and this is not a big deal story, but this is a story about just the way, sort of the way this works. And understand, I didn't know him until we got in a small group together. And, and anyway, um, while, while they were here, our lives were kind of intertwined. And we served together and we worshiped together and we cried together and we laughed together and we just kind of became brothers and we hadn't seen each, we haven't seen each other in probably two or three years, but we talk or we text occasionally in the, and, and week before last, he texted me and this always happens at about 2 a.m., between 2 and 3 a.m. He texts me, here's what his text said. It said, hey, and this is a guy who struggles and questions everything. There's a conspiracy behind every corner and and he questions his faith and, and so forth. So he, so he questions everything. And he said, hey man, can I ask you to pray for me? Dude, I'm, str- I'm still struggling as a believer. I'm constantly messing up and I'm not where I was. Pray that I have faith and that I'm okay. And I think that I'm leading my family away from God, hopefully only temporarily. You don't have to reply, but please pray for me and my family. Now picture this. I'm in the bed asleep at 2.30 in the morning and ding! you know, the phone, and immediately I get an elbow in the rib cage from Susan, and she jumps out of the bed, what's going on? And I said, it's nothing, it's so-and-so. So he says that to me, and I said, of course, bro, what's going on? And he texted back, he said, nothing big, like from the outside, everything looks normal, but spiritually I feel like I'm just jacking things up, and I'm not happy with anything, if that makes sense. And I replied back to him, I'll pray for you for sure, uh, brother, this life is full of ups and downs and twists and turns, your salvation was secured the day you accepted Christ. That day you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Dude, read Romans 
831 through 39, particularly verses 38 and 39. Be confident in the Lord, brother. And about 15 minutes later, by now it's probably 315, I got three words back. Love you, man. That was it. I hadn't talked to him probably for, uh, that was probably two weeks ago. I hadn't talked to him again. And you, you kind, and we have those kind of conversations about every month or two. But we encourage each other. And you know that feeling when, when somebody, uh, uh, when you see somebody or you talk to somebody you care about and your lives are so woven together that when they cry, you cry. When they laugh, you laugh. Because your lives are so linked together in an intimacy, it transcends time and space. And the world tells you that you can do it yourself. Just do it yourself. You don't need anybody. But this Word tells us otherwise. It's a picture that Paul paints in 1 Corinthians of the body. He describes the church as a body. And if I hit my finger with a hammer and I have pain and one part of my body is hurting, my whole body hurts. And when one part of my body is honored, the entire body rejoices with it. And that stuff doesn't happen overnight. It takes time and it takes vulnerability and it takes intimacy and it, and it takes caring and listening and talking with each other. It's just what God's designed us to do. So we got to be careful and careful not to settle for sitting in a room, this room, and I'm not telling you not to come to church. For God's sake, that's not what I'm saying. But we got to be careful to think that just sitting in this room once a week and thinking that that's all that it takes. You need to share life together. The Bible doesn't say go out and live your life and hopefully run into a few folks that you can encourage. It's an intentional get-together, sharing life together, and it's, it, it, it is always to motivate one another on to love. This is why we hammer getting in a small group. Get in a small group. For one reason, for two or three reasons. One reason that I don't want you to forget, you get in a small group because there's a lost and dying world out there that needs Jesus and we get to, we get to have the honor of bringing Him to them. And so here's how this stuff plays out. I got some pictures that I just want to show you. Again, not a huge deal, but I want to run through some pictures. You've got on the left side, you got Amber and, and Anthony and Heather. And uh, Anthony is a guy that we serve uh, on Monday and Tuesday nights. Anthony is a painter. We encourage Anthony. He and his wife live in the woods off of Third Avenue. But Anthony paints and he's selling his painting. And he's about this far from getting a house to rent. And there's a lot of encouragement that goes on with him and us. And uh, on the picture on the right side is Amy Womack's son. They delivered him to college last week. And that picture of the tiger up there, Anthony painted, Amy bought from him, put it in her son's room. There's encouragement in all of that for us and for him. The next picture um, is Christina Crouch and Ricky on the left side, Larry on the right side. I didn't know Christina much until we got in a group together, but I come to learn that uh, she, last, last year she was nominated, uh, she was the teacher of the, of the year for her school, nominated to be the teacher of the year in the Muscogee County School District. I know that, and we're sharing in that joy. I know that she um, has been caring or cared for her brother's uh, child for about a year. And Christina's pretty young. That's a tough thing, a tough burden to all of a sudden have. But we shared that part of her life along with her Larry on the right side. Um, Larry's one of the guys that we serve. We've been serving him for a couple of years. Larry encourages us all the time. Larry, when, we're, when we pray before we eat, 
every time, Larry always says the same thing. We come here uh, not as friends, but as family. A small group is a family, and we lean on each other, and we encourage each other. You can flip to the next one. I want you to see this thread of encouragement and joy and bearing burdens. The lady on the left is also the lady on the right. She's in a wheelchair. That's Sydney Sprague and Jessica Kennard uh, with her. This is uh, Miss, Miss Diane Harris. A few weeks ago, I don't know, probably six or eight weeks ago, uh, we, she shows up. We hadn't seen her. Her head is bleeding. She uh, can hardly walk. Sweet little old lady. They called me because I wasn't out that night and said, what do we do? And I said, call 911. And I said, before the night is out, I will have a place for her to live. They called 911. She goes to the hospital. It took me about two hours. I had a place for her to live. I picked her up the next day um, at the hospital. Talking to her, I said, you know, Miss Diane, where have you been sleeping? Her son put her out of the house about six months ago. She said, wherever I can. Sleeping in the gutter, sleeping under bridges, sleeping next to buildings, you know, wherever she can. I picked her up at the hospital. I delivered her, took her to the... And we talked for probably two hours. I took her to the place that she's living. And you know what happened about seven days later? She had a warm, excuse me, a cool place to live that was air-conditioned and a bed and a couch. And so forth, seven days later, she passed away. I don't know in God's providence why that happened. But I know for the last seven days of her life, there was encouragement. I know for the last seven days of her life, she had a bed, and she had a roof, something to keep the rain out, and she had a couch, and she had a TV, and she had and maybe that God used our group just to make that last seven days bearable, and we were bearing some of that burden. You flip to the next one. Uh, on the left side, you got Dan Womack and Big Mike. Big Mike's got the jersey on, and Big Mike lives in the woods off of Second Avenue. One night we're out, and we were all kind of discouraged by the events of the evening. And Big Mike pulls me off to the side, and he said, and this is a homeless dude, he said, don't stop doing what you're doing. You don't know the impact that your organization, that your ministry is having. God may not allow you to see it, but it makes a difference. Don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. Probably for two or three weeks in a row, he pulled us off to the side and said that. It's mutual encouragement. On the right, you got Nikki Lopez, and some of you know Nikki, some of you don't. One of the most encouraging people that I know. And Nikki spent in our church, Nikki's right there. Nikki spent a significant part of her childhood homeless in Los Angeles. Nikki can, has a whole nother perspective for the people in our group. Nikki's mom is pretty sick. I wouldn't have known that and been able to help in whatever way that I can help if we hadn't been involved together in a group. Nikki's been caring for, for I'm not sure, about a year for, uh, for one of her sister's kids. That's a big deal. And we've been able to help encourage and bear a little bit of that load for her. And none of that would happen outside of the context of a community. You can go to the next one. On the left side, you got Brittany, Aaron, Ada, and Sarah Grace. And this is crazy. On Tuesday, that picture on the left is taken Tuesday. Ada is one of the ladies that we serve, and the other three serve with us. But this was posted by one of our volunteers on Tuesday night who had no idea what I was preaching about Sunday. But here's the way she, here's the way she tagged that picture. Brittany uh, it says, One young lady we serve through the ministry and three volunteers. Four friends sharing life and encouraging each other. 
God giggled a little bit, I think, when she wrote that, and I read it, but that's what happens. On the right, you got Robert uh, and Kelsey and Jessica, and Robert, terrible, terrible addiction problem. The dude is hard as a rock, but uh, fights all the time. But on May 15th, when I had surgery, he tells our volunteers to, you make sure to tell Pastor Ed that I'm praying for him every day. I, that was one of the most encouraging things that I heard throughout that whole, that whole prostate cancer thing. And it comes from a homeless addict who we were sharing our lives together. Last picture. The young lady on the left, her name is Sherelle, and that's the Dillingham Street Bridge behind her, which is where she and her uncle Wilbur lived. This was winter before last. And Sherelle... It, we're encouraging her and we're bearing some of their load. Well, Sherelle, uh, today, about a year, a little more, about a year and a half later, Sherelle's not homeless. She's got a full-time job with DHL. She lives in Phoenix City in an apartment. She texts me, at the time my dad was going through an illness, she texts me about once a month and says, how's your dad? E every month. It is like clockwork. I don't know if she has it set up in her phone or something, but she does it. And so... I can't encourage you enough to jump into a small group uh, on the rally days on the 10th and on the 17th where you can grow together and you can serve together and you can cry together and you can motivate each other together. You can push each other's buttons where you can leverage together your life experiences for somebody else's forever. Together, the odds go up that you can stay unshaken. And so, uh, if y'all pray with me, pray with me, Lord. We love you today. We thank you so much for the want to that you put inside of us to come together with people. Lord, uh, sorry. We thank you so much for just the idea that together is better. And so my prayer is that everybody in our church, 100% of the people in our church are going to jump in and start living life and sharing life together. And Lord, I, I pray this in Jesus' name. Now we we're gonna. This is a time in our in our service where we uh, praise God, where we thank God, where we worship God with an offering. We didn't do it earlier. I, I, here's what I want to ask you today. I want to ask you to throw a little extra bone, a little extra bone in there for me, Iglesia. They are doing awesome, unbelievable things in Mexico. And so whatever you're going to give, just give a little bit more for me, Iglesia, and, and, and you can play a role in helping the orphans and the widows in Mexico. So y'all come on and, and let me pray over this as well. Lord, it's a, it's a pretty crazy, awesome, unbelievable day when you can come to a place in your life where you can uh, where we can really worship you and where we can give you, give you everything that we've got, that we can trust you with everything. It's easy, Lord, to trust you with the things that are easy to trust you with. It's hard to trust you with our finances, with our stuff. Lord, but what an unbelievable thing that you do in our hearts and in our minds when we can do that. And so, Lord, I, I, I pray as we take up this offering, I pray and I trust that you're going to uh, that you're going to do things with it, that you're going to uh, heal hearts and heal wounds and 
you're going to allow us as a body of believers to, to go out into a lost and dying world and tell them about you. And so, Lord, I lift uh, this offering up to you, and I trust that you're going you're gonna to multiply it and you're going to do awesome things with it. And so, Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.